And in music news, number one on the college charts this summer was Better Than Ezra. And at number two, Ezra. <laughs> It's April 29th, 1995, and Good by Better Than Ezra is number one on the Billboard Modern Rock chart. Hello, and welcome to Tell Me All Your Thoughts on Pod. I'm Al. I'm Trav. I'm Quillen, and this is a podcast where we talk about every song that reached number one on the Billboard Modern Rock chart in the 90s, beginning with Kurt Cobain's death in April 1994. Today we'll be talking about Good, the lead single from Better Than Ezra's second album, Deluxe. Uh, Good spent five weeks at number one and remains the only time that Better Than Ezra has topped the charts. Here's a clip. Well, maybe I'm just too sure. Or maybe I'm just too frightened by the sound of it. Pieces of note fall down, but the letter said, uh -oh, it was good. So Plato says good is what gives truth to the things known <laughs> and the power to know to the knower. It is not only the cause of knowledge and truth, it is also an object of knowledge. Meanwhile, Aristotle believed that humans have no reason to believe that the form of the good exists <laughs> and the form of the good is thereby irrelevant to human ethics. Which side of that debate do you two fall on? Um... Yeah, I agree. I agree. Good. I was barely paying attention. <laughs> uh, do you think this song is good? No. Yes. Oh. No. Um, well, it's certainly not bad because that's a uh, Michael Jackson song. That is. <laughs> and a U2 song, actually. Wow. Yeah. So this song must be good. The antithesis. Uh, Trav, why do you think uh, this song is good? Oh, I don't know. It's it's tough to say. It's um, it's just kind of, you know, it's like almost this archetypical, like perfect kind of like mid nineties modern rock song. When I think of Bonnard Rock, I think of good. I think of I think of this. I think of uh, just a pop song in the key of G, and uh, you know, playing this progression, loud, quiet, loud. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's the it's bass tone goes bang, dong, ding, dong, bang, dong, ding, yeah, dong, the quarter dong, notes. I mean, bang, dong, ding, dong. yeah, it's so. I mean, kind of jumping the gun here to get to the Nirvana wannabe part, but like, um. Apparently, this was written in 1990 um, before mm. Smells Like Teen Spirit. 
Um, And so they were like, we're not actually like trying to rip off Nirvana, but Mm -hmm. we are trying to rip off the Pixies. Mm -hmm. So, Hmm. uh, and that makes perfect sense. This is when Bobby Cobain got on the phone and and talked to his cousin Kurt and said, hey, (laughs) I found the sound you're looking for. (laughs) This is your cousin, Bobby. Bobby Cobain? (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. You you saw Better Than Ezra name check the Pixies on this? Yeah, yeah. Curious. Okay. Quill, why don't you talk shit about this good song? (laughs) It's awful. It's corny as hell. Uh, the lyrics are stupid. Um, the song, the music is stupid. Uh, I, I just, I think it's a miserable song. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the chorus is one of the stupidest things I've ever heard. (laughs) I, I don't know what else to say about it. I don't have anything like thought provoking or deep or insightful to say. I think it's just garbage. Um, it is (laughs) so... I simplicity is fine, but it's just dumb. Like this is not simplicity in an artful way. It, this mm. is just a dumb rock song, uh, with like no thought put into it whatsoever. Quill, did you ever read To Kill a Mockingbird in high school? No. I read it uh, much later. I read it maybe like uh ten or twelve years ago. Well, if you Ten remember, or eight Ms. years ago, Miss Maudie explains to Scout and Jem, it's a sin to kill a mockingbird because mockingbirds don't do anything but s- just sing for us to enjoy. And right now you're killing a mockingbird. <laughs> <laughs> this song is totally harmless and is just a just a mild source of joy in our lives. And uh, I'm personally offended by the. <laughs> just embarrassing drum performance on this song and okay um, i didn't notice that the the, the, the drummer is not good he like he botches fills he plays just really dumb on this song really there are botched fills. fills i it sounds that way to me like you know the rumor of uh is it a rumor or is it a fact that when ringo uh play drums on recording hit the fills sound the way that they do because he would like speed up and get overtly excited and then kind of just like stumble through playing a fill um is that a thing al i feel like i've read i'm, I'm, that. I'm not aware of that but um, I, I would believe it this is like or that they had ringers playing for him this is that like uh, I th- there's like one or two fills in particular where I can just see the drummer or I like in my mind, I see the drummer coming up and just like, Oh, what the hell am I doing now? What, where am huh, I hitting? Okay. I don't know. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's a, it's a bad performance. Um, just, well, let me just say I'm a big fan of Ringo's fills. I, I don't know how to describe oh, it. Too. I've never figured it out. R- Ringo's fills are round. Sure. What, do you have any insight into why I'm saying that his fills are have this wonderful roundness? I, My understanding is that he um, is like leads with his left hand on his mm-hmm. fills, but is a right-handed drummer. Oh, and that's what makes it so um, interesting. Yeah, so interesting. I, I, I mean, yeah. He he just kind of to me, Al. It's like he's stumbling around the drum kit, like hitting mm-hmm. each mm-hmm. piece. Um, 
I love Ringo's drumming. I do not think this drummer is drumming anything like Ringo. I I don't mean to compare them. You don't think That's this band is I'm as doing. good as the Beatles? <laughs> <laughs> I think that the Beatles, who I think are flawed and not the greatest band of all time, are at least 1,000 times better than Better Than hmm. Ezra. Um, but I do think... I, I'm not trying to compare Ringo to this drummer. That's not what I'm doing. I'm just well. And who who's better than the Beatles? You gonna say Radiohead? Yes. Okay. Uh, I guess jury's I'll out for that. me on better I'll than t- Ezra versus the Beatles. <laughs> 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 Anyways, the, the drummer sucks and doesn't know what the hell he's doing. And All right. I'm All right. I'm not offended. I'm not personally offended. I'm kidding. Yeah. But. Uh, I guess while we're talking about instrumentation, um, obviously it's a pretty nice bass tone. I would personally, that's the best part. It, it, it's it's a the bass tone is a little bit. I just used the word round, but it's it's still a little bit too round for me. I think I would roll back a little bit of the high end on that bass tone. But um, he's apparently playing a Spectre bass. I am not familiar with Spectre basses, but that's what he's playing in the music video and online. Uh, you know, on the base chat that that I that I check out, um, they seem to believe that he indeed was playing this Spectre uh, bass on this song. Is that the Lotus of the uh, Better Than Ezra world? Uh, no, I don't think so. It looks like Spectres are are pricey. It's not necessarily oh. just like a Japanese knockoff of a Music Man or something like that. Um, uh yeah that that you know the bass tone is nice and uh Trav I don't know if you noticed the seven chords the the chords yes. with the little dominant sevens in them those are really nice I thought you assholes would like that yeah um, that's great there's a little extra candy on the chorus and I, I can't figure out if it's keyboard or guitar mm. but the it's like appealing. kind of back and forth uh like lead line that's buried. It's it's a little buried, nee, yeah. Nee, 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 I, yeah, I wonder if it's a like guitar that. played through like a Leslie speaker. Sure, it almost makes it sound like a keyboard. Um, yeah, where it has that kind of like vibrating, um, you know, tremolo kind of sound. Yeah. So I I have a memory of this song. Um, uh, I was reminded uh, via the internet that it was featured in um, the trailer for the Babysitter's Club movie, um, which I remember seeing commercials for, trailers for on TV. And this was summer of 95. uh, That that movie came out, I believe. I think I saw it was released in like August of 95 or something like that. And I was going to football practice. Um, I played football for like our um, county, like uh, the Wayne County, like Pee Wee um, Downriver Football League. And um, I just remember seeing that trailer one day before practice and thinking, oh, this song is so catchy and great. And uh, it was just in my head the whole football practice. I was like singing it while I was running and doing laps and whatever we had to do. Um, It was just engraved in my head. And uh, maybe that's why I hate it now, uh, the association with football. Um, but, yeah, it's a kind of a vivid memory for me. Yeah, uh, that's great. I actually have um, really strong memories about the song, too, where it was just, like, perfect summer song. 
I mean, like I can remember playing like basketball in my driveway um, with the radio, you know, blasting as loud as we can get it so that we could hear it. And the song coming on, you know, on the radio a lot. And um, and I was I was always into it. It was great. Was it great or good? It was good. <laughs> it was both. Um, we've mentioned that this song follows sort of the the perfect bubble gun bubble grunge template. There's bass and vocals on the verses, loud guitar on the chorus. There's certainly some Nirvana wannabes songs that we've talked about that follow a similar template, but I'm I'm talking specifically about bass and vocals on the verse and loud guitar on the chorus. Um, do you have any other favorite songs that are in that mold that follow that same formula? So I was having a hard time finding uh, songs that were solely bass and vocals and drums, Mm -hmm. I guess, uh, during the verses. Uh, I couldn't really come up with anything. Um, So I just went with like what I found to be the definition of bubble grunge on the internet. Mm -hmm. And uh, so neither of these songs are quite that way al i apologize but um i guess what are considered widely as bubble grunge uh i guess my favorite bubble grunge songs from the 90s would uh are semi-charmed life by third eye blind and father of mine by everclear which i think i think that is pretty close (laughs) yeah uh, father of mine is pretty close to like the guitar is so simple and barely there during the verses and the, you know, the distorted guitars come in so loud. Uh Um, Trav, you like, uh, huffed and puffed at, at (laughs) you don't like good, but you like father of mine. Uh, It's true. Father of mine is not my favorite song from so much for the afterglow. Uh, Not my favorite. Hey, it it wasn't easy for Quill to be a scared white boy in a black neighborhood. I mean, yeah. We need to we need to spend some time on that song. <laughs> <laughs> we will. It's coming. Good. Quill, I, I I had another song from So Much for the Afterglow on my list of uh, of bubble grunge formulaic uh, wonders. Which one was it? I put everything to everyone. Okay. On, see, on... I thought about that song, which I I love that song. I think yeah. that is a great. That's probably my favorite single. Um. But I that song never really like kicks in fully. Um, it's like it's not very fuzzy or like the guitars aren't very distorted. Uh-huh. It definitely gets louder. Um, when yeah. like the really cool guitar lead part comes in at the end. Um, uh huh. It's but... pure pop. Mm-hmm. It's pure mm-hmm. pop, mm-hmm. and it's candy. It's got these candied keyboards all over it. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, um, that's probably my my most bubblegum um, inclusion. You know, when I thought when I heard this song and I thought, okay, songs in this mold, I immediately went back to Kim Deal, who I, I think is I don't I'm not a, I'm not a, an alternative rock scholar, but I think that so much of this um, a, a variation on this bass tone 
and the dynamics surrounding it ultimately come from Kim Deal. So I definitely thought of Gigantic by the Pixies. Oh. And, I, and I thought of Last Splash by the Breeders, for sure. I, I thought of Cannonball, but I thought Cannonball was... I'm sorry. Yeah, I should have said Cannonball. I, it's the song that I'm thinking of. I thought Cannonball was too cool and good to be sure. included. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and also, like... Yeah pre you know like before this really was a thing right um widespread you know yeah yeah to some degree i mean last splash is not it's it's uh you know it's after pod so yeah but it's um, still 93 yeah you're right um the only other one it does not like like quillen said it doesn't have necessarily the pure base on the verses but um greedy fly by bush it just, it's just slaying me the last couple of years. Yeah. Isn't that a pretty dark sounding song though? Or am I crazy? Yeah. Remembering it's that? not super bubble gummy, but yeah. uh, it is Bush. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 Yeah. Right, not nearly as, and... <laughs> not nearly as poppy as uh, some of the songs that have been mentioned. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I was actually unprepared for this question. I don't know why, but um for whatever reason, I think of like everything we've talked about as just being like, yeah, you know, it's vaguely like, you know, quiet choruses or quiet verses and then loud verse or chorus. Jesus Christ. <laughs> quiet verses, loud choruses. Um, and I, uh, so I didn't really think too much about like specific examples, but, um, off the top of my head, Long Way Down by Goo Goo Dolls uh, kind of huh. came to mind as being something like that. Um, I just, I feel like it was kind of a common thing that was happening around this time. Yeah. Well, we'll have plenty of time to talk about the Goo Goo Dolls in, uh, in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Um, have you ever thought about what this song is about? No, not before uh, now. Yeah, not before uh, researching it for this episode of the podcast where we discuss it. <laughs> um, I didn't think it was about much, and it's not really about much. It sounds like so. It sounds like it's about um breaking up with the partner and uh the partner writes a letter saying like hey i'm out it was it was good living with you and yeah. uh and then both of the parties trying to kind of like figure out the positives that are gained at the end of a relationship uh which seems like a really mature sort of like responsible thing to do um i thought it was really admirable kind of thinking about it that way I kind of thought of it as maybe like a, uh, I guess I interpreted it as um, like maybe a siblings growing up together and then moving apart. Like, uh, huh. like I kind of um, thought of like uh, my brother and I, uh, eight years apart, um, had a pretty good relationship in my childhood. You know, I looked up to him. Um, and he kind of like, um, tried to like protect me or like, you know, just kind of be like a positive influence for me. And, uh, when he moved away to college and stuff, that was kind of like, uh, 
uh, bittersweet uh, kind of feeling for me. And um, I don't know, I, I, that's kind of the vibe that I was getting, like kind of just like um, losing like a loved close sibling for a time. I love that. I like that interpretation. Did you, uh, did you understand what the H the guy was saying on the chorus before you looked it up? No. Oh, yeah, really? I sure didn't. He, so he's saying living with you. Wow. It was good. <laughs> I always thought you're living with your wow and it's good. <laughs> so I was like, what's your wow? So. Oh no! I thought it, I I uh, had a pretty clear understanding of what really? the lyrics were. Yeah, I yeah. still hear you're living with your wow. <laughs> so. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Um, I watched some footage of Kevin Griffin talking on various talk shows and things like that, and he's kind of a charming guy. He's the the, the lead singer of this band and the the head songwriter. And he has had a very lucrative songwriting mm. career. He has yeah, written songs that. for Blondie, Howie Day, Meatloaf, Train, Taylor Swift, Sugarland, James Blunt, Bare Naked Ladies, and most recently, Mike Love's Chris- Christmas album. <laughs> um, he's got some huge hits that he's written for other bands, and they are awful. Um, <laughs> He's got this song, Stuck Like Glue, that was a big hit for Sugarland. that is basically a variation on the uh, Hey Soul Sister by Train slash, uh, you know, Jason Mraz vibe, the ukulele uh, sweet, saturated vibe. Um, but uh, that's cool. He's he's making big money mm. writing songs. Yeah, I noticed. So he he co-wrote "Collide" by Howie Day, which is like a pretty big hit in like the early two thousands. Um, and I also noticed that he 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 co-wrote a Bare Naked Ladies song that sounds like it was from a Bare Naked Ladies song generator called <laughs> "Did I Say That Out Loud" from the album "Grinning Streak." <laughs> okay. I was just I'm really delighted by that. that. <laughs> uh, there's a music video for this song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what's going on there, but I'll tell you what, bright colors. Yep. Yep. Saturated yep. colors. <laughs> and a bright drummer colors. who is way too excited about what he's playing. Uh-huh. Yeah. He is like amped amped to be playing shitty fills and the most basic <laughs> drum beat you can imagine. He is playing very hard, very excitedly, and it made me laugh. This guy is going to be so sad when he hears this podcast. Yeah. Wow. Well. Um, yeah, there's some kind of storyline about a guy with a briefcase. I couldn't really follow mm-hmm. it. Yeah, uh, I, I couldn't I, either. I, I was sort of struck by, it does seem like there is a trend of like, half moved into houses or half moved out of houses um, in 90s music videos. I'm not sure I can bring up any evidence right now other than Stay by Lisa Loeb, which, uh, have we talked about that song? It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's a good song. <laughs> it's, uh, oh, <laughs> it's good. Um, 
Yeah, that's all I got about the video. Yeah, there's nothing to it. Yeah. I was I guess I was a little bit um surprised to see that they were playing that uh Kevin Griffin was playing open chords. For whatever reason it struck me as like a bar chord song. Mm-hmm. But uh yeah, I playing agree. open chords. Hmm. Yeah. Um okay, well we kind of pledged to talk about a couple of albums, but let's talk about Deluxe. Oh, this album sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, it's really bad. <laughs> yeah, terrible. My note says Deluxe is terrible. There was not a single song that I liked. Jesus. I came into this thinking that Deluxe was good. And I... No, just I, track I two is too good. Just, just track two is just good. Just track two. I guess I was I, I was kind of wrong. I was, I was surprised by... I was really let down. Um, Did you have a past relationship with the album? I, yeah, kind of. Um, the singles I loved. I think I think in the blood the opener is awesome. Like it's probably the best, better than Ezra song. Oh, okay. Um, I love it. Yeah, and... I, I I like it. It's got a it's got a, a more of a Gin Blossoms vibe yes. than their later stuff, but it's it's really good. Yeah. Can you know what? I- I swear that once Sarah and I were uh, just going through 90s videos on YouTube, this would have been, I don't know how many years ago now, like 2014 maybe or 2015. And um, came across a better than Ezra song on that that I thought slapped. Um, and I don't think it's on this album. I and I have no idea what it would be on. I can't remember what it, the name of it is. Yeah, uh, I can I can probably help you with that in a couple minutes. I don't <laughs> think it's from the album that you encouraged us to listen to, Al. Oh well, no, no, no. I, I think probably the best better than Ezra songs altogether are on Friction Baby, the album after this. Mm. But uh, Trav, Trav, tell us more about Deluxe. Yeah, so I, I really liked, um, I loved In the Blood. And and Rosalia, which was also a single um, with a video featuring Salma Hayek, um, was also great. Like, there's a harmonica part in it that was, like, very, uh, it reminded me of uh, the Polaris songs from Pete and Pete. Uh-huh. Um, they were just great. I really, really liked it. Um and so I jumped into it and I was kind of like going along with it in the blood's great. Good's great. Um, killer inside is way too early in the track listing. Like it might've worked at like the three quarter mark, but it's like, like, I think it's like the third song and it's like a real downer. Um, <laughs> crying the sun. We want to talk about crying the sun. I'm okay with crying the sun. I thought it was kind of oh. cool. It I was, thought this was atrocious. <laughs> I thought it was fine. There's a really cool like organ part to it. Um, the lyrically, it's a a little bit awkward, um, but I can live with it. Yeah. So the chorus of "Cry in the Sun" is "Cry in the Sun, 
when the devil beats his wife. <laughs> <laughs> so this band is from New Orleans, and I've, I've actually I have previously heard the when the devil beats his wife thing. Um, in my capacity as an eighth grade language arts teacher, because this actually is, uh, this is a Southern idiom about um, when it rains, when the sun is out. We, in, mm. in, up North, we call it a sun shower. You know, Kevin, uh, Kevin Griffin is singing cry in the sun and, and using the, the idiom of when the devil beats his wife. I looked around a little bit more about the other sun shower terminology that exists and, um, so much of it has something to do with the devil. On the internet, I found the following idioms that that are, are basically synonymous with sun shower. Uh, the devil is making pancakes. The devil has hanged his mother. The devil is stabbing his wife with a sword. <laughs> the devil is bleaching his grandmother. These are all things that you apparently... You made that up. No, no, these are all. Uh, I don't remember what source I got them. The from. devil, Did you say the devil stabbing is... his mother with a yeah. sword. The devil is stabbing his wife with a sword. Wife with a sword. Okay, sorry. <laughs> mother would be ridiculous. It's just the most tedious mid '90s power ballad. I just was so painfully bored while listening to this album. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't really fault you for that i mean like it doesn't really go i mean after like the midway point it doesn't go anywhere and it's um, 54 minutes long yeah all There's of their like albums a... seemed to be over 50 minutes yeah and trav had made a great point about you know our mindset about this has changed you know back in the day of the 17 dollar cd maybe that was what it took mm -hmm. to make people feel like they were getting their money's worth but Man, I, I can't listen to you got to really have something to say if you're going to take up 50 minutes mm -hmm. on an album. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I think it had a lot more like like stronger legs back then, too. I mean, you mentioned getting like uh, throwing copper and bringing down the horse for your birthday one year. And I was like thinking about that and thinking like you probably got a few months out of that. Right. Oh, whereas yeah. like, yeah, I oh, mean, yeah. like that carries you for months, whereas like now, like we can pull up things to stream and it doesn't like it doesn't stick. Yeah. But yeah. If you and I mean, you know, when album, you when you got a CD, if you spent, you know, 15 to 20 dollars on it and that was your your pick for how to spend the money that you had that week, the only money that you had to spend that week you really made an investment <laughs> in understanding that record and doing your best to make a personal connection with that record. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, in some ways it's a shame that it's, that has gone away. It's sometimes it just absolutely failed for sure. whatever reason that the, the thing that comes to mind when you say that is wax ex ecstatic by sponge. Yeah. Which I like, you know, went out and spent money on, and I had to keep listening to it. I'm just like, oh, this isn't very good. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I had to keep going with it. It just never clicked. Yeah. And I mean, did you two um, in the 90s, did you end up selling CDs that you didn't like? No. I, it would depend. Um, I like the very 
late 90s and early aughts um so like probably 10th through 12th grade for me um if i uh i think the local record store that i would go to um down the street from my house um i think they had a thing where you could trade like two cds for one so i could trade Mm -hmm. in two used cds and get one used cd and so i would do that like when i accumulated maybe like six or eight cds that i was like yeah i I don't really want these anymore i would take them there and you know downsize to to better yeah i mean moving on from deluxe to better than ezra's next album my primary memory of, of friction baby their album after this is the the question the nagging question of in my mind of do I want to sell this CD because I would always be going to used record stores and I I feel like it was it was often a kind of a painful decision to sell a CD but sometimes it was worth it because you know just like allowance resources were not that strong and there was just potential for for something better and i remember listening to friction baby you know it was just this experience of like looking at the cd and being like i don't like that cd and putting it on just to make sure and listening through like 30 seconds of each song and being like well i don't know and i found that um revisiting better than ezra I, i don't think my feelings have grown any better defined i listened back to friction baby and the album after that where does your garden grow and I still couldn't quite figure out: is this a is this a keep or is this a sell? Um, Trav, you listened to Friction Baby at least a little bit, right? <laughs> I tried. <laughs> yeah, which All is right. really kind of interesting because, like, I I I had a higher like um, higher. I held this band in higher esteem prior to this episode than I do coming out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, yeah, I'll just listen to all of the Better Than Ezra albums. Like, I'm I'm into that. That sounds great. I think I made it like four songs into into Friction Baby, and I was like, yeah, no, yeah, <laughs> that's how I, don't I have was. to do this, and I just kind of like moved on. That's how I yeah. was with How Does Your Garden Grow. I couldn't make it past like the sure. fourth or fifth song. But how Does Your Garden Grow is much more interesting to me. Well, let's let's hang on to Friction Baby sure. for just a second. So the 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 two big singles from that were King of New Orleans, which peaked at number five, and I think that's a pretty good bubble grunge song. Yeah, it's fine. Um, and Desperately Wanting, which uh, peaked at number ten, and I think is quite good. I think everybody. I think that was a very popular song. I think uh, most of my friends um, thought it was a pretty good song. Um, I don't know if I think it's as good today as I thought it was back then. Okay. I was struck revisiting all this stuff, and I did not expect it. I thought that Normal Town, uh, a single that was sort of they tried to launch from Friction Baby, apparently it never took off, but I remember hearing it on 89X plenty in Detroit. Wow. Um, my, my feeling was that that was probably the best Better Than Ezra song. When I listened to it, I, I, I liked it quite a bit. Does it go, uh, gotta live, gotta live, gotta live in normal time? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Okay. Just check. <laughs> it's got, um, gosh, what's going on with the bass? There might be a little wah on the bass. Um, 
Ooh. <laughs> I think. It's got that... It's a funky song, but uh, it's got some nice pop appeal. But yeah, the album, once again, I, you know, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, but it's 51 minutes, and some of the songs just don't need to be there. So I guess it's a sell for me. But then... How Does Your Garden Grow came out, and it's a complete, it's day and night. I mean, it's a complete change. What I liked this album a lot when I was a kid. I'm not going to say how I feel about it now. How did you feel listening to it for the first time? I, uh, I, I recognize the single from the time. That's At the I, Stars. At the Stars, yes. Peaked and, at 17. And um, at the time, you know, whatever, it was just kind of like, okay, this is a a song and it sounds nice and everything like that. I could not believe this was the same band that put out Deluxe in 1995. It sounds so much more uh, musical and there's it's just busier and more complex and thoughtful and... I, so I remember, like, I was reading um, about Kevin Griffin being a songwriter for other bands and things like that. And it was when I was still kind of listening to the deluxe and things. And I was like, why? How? Like, what makes this guy special mm-hmm. enough to, like, write songs for other bands? And then I got to How Does Your Garden Grow? And I said, oh, that's that's it. That makes sense. Um, I don't necessarily think it's all, like, brilliant but it's it's something and it's different and there's a lot of there's a lot of electric piano on it which i loved um i thought i thought there was a lot of cool stuff happening and i thought at the stars was especially great i thought that the chorus was amazing uh over the last week or two so here's here's the thing that i think i want to say about how does your garden wait real quick it reveals that yeah go ahead deluxe was originally released in like 92 or 93 though. 93, yeah. Yeah, it was like an independent release mm-hmm. and it got right. picked up by Electra. And then Electra re-released it, yeah. yeah. Continue, Al. Um, I think that How Does Your Garden Grow reveals that Kevin Griffin is a keen observer. Meaning that we've kind of buried the lead on this album, which is that um, it is... Uh, a quote-unquote experimental album. (laughs) You can hear very evidently, at least as a more cynical adult listener, I can hear very evidently that Kevin Griffin has, in between Friction Baby and this album, he has heard Air. Hmm. Um, He has heard OK Computer. He has heard Blur's self-titled album. He's heard Portishead. And he has said, I'm going to do that. And his powers of observation are strong enough. In a much that, worse way, though. <laughs> he did not come yeah, close. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of haunted by this album. I think because he, like I said, he's a keen observer, and he is um, being an imitative thinker, but he is imitating independent thinkers and creative thinkers. And um, I don't think that that's good enough 
to make How Does Your Garden Grow good in retrospect, but I'm also kind of haunted, uh, frankly, I'm kind of haunted by the thought that I think that this might be what I do as a songwriter. I think I might imitate truly creative uh, independent thinkers, and I think I might be really good at observing what they do and slightly modifying it, but ultimately um, I feel a kinship with Kevin Griffin, I guess, in that he is trying on and and I think to, in some situations mastering the innovations of other artists. I I feel mastering is is not is that overly generous. Well, it, yeah, it's it's just not the approach I would take. Like I I think he's taking those the aspects of the bands that you mentioned and making them palatable for like mass consumption mm -hmm. because I don't think anything like everything like um, on this album is something that could go on the radio and people would mm -hmm. find to be fine and not particularly like challenging or anything like that. Um, and so I don't know. And maybe in a, in a way, I guess that's kind of mastering things, but I, I not necessarily in the way that I would, prefer it to be mastered. I don't sense that he as an individual has something to say and that's that's a, a crucial distinction I think yeah I think that's fair um I think I read like he was in a like fraternity and stuff and maybe a bit of a privileged background and things like that um I don't know yeah and I mean, just kind of based on everything, based on good, going back to good. Like, what is good? What, what is that? It's nothing, but it's great. You know, it's <laughs> like, to me, I think of it as like a great empty pop song. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's not really I, I think that uh, I think that Better Than Ezra should be perfectly happy to be declared to be the Dave Clark five of Bubble Grunge. Yeah, sure. I, and I don't even mean that as an insult. Does Dave, Dave, does, does Dave Clark 5 do needles and pins? Uh, that's the Searchers, Seekers? Dave Clark okay. 5 does Glad All Over. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I still stand by that. Sure. I think that yeah. it's, 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 there's nothing wrong with being the Dave's Clark, Dave Clark's 5 or even the, the Herman's Hermits of, uh, of 90s alternative radio. And yeah. uh, I think that they've done fine. Okay. <laughs> Let's visit the charts. Yeah. Um uh, modern rock charts. Uh oh, sorry, no. Let me scratch that. Um, mainstream rock chart, still lightning crashes. Pop chart, still This Is How We Do It by Montel Jordan. 
Um, modern rock chart has changed quite a bit from last time, I think because uh, Lightning Crash has had such a long run. Anything that you all noticed on the modern rock chart? So much good stuff and interesting stuff in this one. Uh, Matthew Sweet, Sick of Myself at number Great. four. Um, a song I'm unfamiliar with, but Juliana Hatfield at number five. Um, yeah, so I, I had never really looked into Juliana Hatfield's 90s music. Um, the song is Universal Heartbeat, mm-hmm. and uh, it's awesome. I believe it. I believe it, it. It sent me back listening to the album Only Everything, and I have really enjoyed listening to that album over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I need to go there. Um, uh, num- and number 10 is Starseed by Our Lady Peace, uh, which rips, completely rips that song. Yep. Uh, yeah, pretty cool. Is awesome. Um, I never heard it at this point. Like, I don't think I ever heard it on 89X until after Clumsy. And I think it was because it was on, like, the Scream soundtrack or Scream 2 or something like that um, and was, hmm. re- like, re-released as a single then. Um, Could be. I owned the Scream 2 soundtrack. I'm pretty sure it wasn't on that. But uh, I, I, I definitely believe you about it getting picked up or, for greater airplay after yeah. after Clumsy came out. Maybe it was, like, I Know What You Did Last Summer or something. It was, like, one of those kinds of horror movies. Um yeah. But yeah, that song is amazing, I think. Um, Mad Season, River of Deceit at number 11. That song is awesome. Um, yes. Stone Temple Pilots cover of Dancing Days by Led Zeppelin from the, I don't remember the name of the comp. It was like. Oh, it's like Encomium? Yeah. My brother had it on CD and yeah, I loved great. Dancing Days. Uh, I, I I've never listened to that. Uh, I didn't I didn't look it up. Cheryl Crow is on it. Hootie is on it. Um, lots of obvious uh, mid nineties artists. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Dancing Days cover is kind of sweet. Um, they do okay. it very faithfully. Yeah. I can imagine. I can imagine SDP doing yeah. a good job with that. Yeah, they, they yeah. did a good job. Um, Army of Me by Bjork. Um, and Against the Seventies by Mike Watt. Um, is on the this chart as well. Uh, just yeah, like some actually interesting, cool, cool things here. Yeah, I noticed that um number three is is Connection by Elastica. That that song was new to me. I don't remember hearing that on the radio. Um, as much as I am into mid nineties British rock, I've never really listened to Elastica, but I I enjoyed that song and and felt like I should look into it. Is that the song they got sued by Wire for? I don't oh. think it was, but I, I I honestly I'm not I don't quite remember what the song sounded like. Okay. Is that the dun 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 dun? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, not not positive. Okay. Uh there was one song uh that hasn't been mentioned uh 
every song that's been mentioned has been great but um california by wax was a really good song uh, unfamiliar um there's a video that was directed by someone smart where it was a guy <laughs> running in slow motion on fire oh it might be like michelle gondry or uh -huh. something like that um yeah, and it's a great video, but it's like a two-minute wonderful pop song hmm. with like kind of a punk edge. It's it's pretty cool. Okay. Well, you want to rate good? Uh huh. <laughs> I think "Good" by the band Better Than Ezra belongs on the Mount Rushmore of 90s alternative singles. It is one of the five best alternative singles from the era. I give it five uh-uhs. Oh, wow. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's, it's great. I think it's like a perfect song. Are you kidding me, Trev? No, I'm serious. I love it. I am so shocked that you yeah. like it that much. No, perfect. I'm shocked that you like it at all. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I give it 1.5 Rachel Lee Cooks. <laughs> Explain. My my rating or my unit? Uh, Your unit. Uh, she was in Babysitter's Club. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm going to give this four causes of knowledge and truth. <laughs> I think that this is, uh, this is, uh, you know, it's, it's harmless. I don't know why Quillen uh, is going after it. I like I said, this is a, this is a mockingbird. It's not doing anything, but it's just here for us to enjoy. And, uh, it's being a terrible song. It's got uh, a lot of nice ingredients. And uh, yeah, I think that's a solid four. You guys are garbage. <laughs> is this it? This is the end. This is the I'm end. I'm done. I'm out of here. I My only friend. All right, last last step. Last step. Yeah. <laughs> uh, tell me all your thoughts on Pod. Is part of the Off Shelf family. Head to offshelf.net to sign up for their monthly zine and check out our sibling podcast best song ever email us about upcoming songs at thoughtsonpod at gmail.com email us a question and we'll discuss it at our earliest convenience or send us comments memories corrections and complaints if you send comments as a voice memo we'd love to include them at the end of the show uh, also uh, come have a chat with us in our facebook group tell me on your thoughts on tell me all your thoughts on pod you can listen along with our playlists on Spotify, Apple Music, or watch along with the music videos on YouTube. All of that can be found at thoughtsonpod.podbean.com. Finally, don't put us out of our misery just yet. We need to talk about Misery by Soul Asylum. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next Friday.